Thank you, Pastor Jeff, and thank you, you guys, for giving me this opportunity to be here this morning and to present the word. It really is an honor. So I just want to start off right now by presenting a theory to you that I've been, I've been working on. It's still in its seminal stages. It's still just a hypothesis, uh, but I want to give you these initial thoughts and then get your feedback to see if you think that I'm crazy or not. Uh, I call it the microwave time warp theory. And it's this idea that when, no matter how much time you punch into the microwave, it always is an eternity before your food is actually done, right? Yes, I, I think that you guys know what I'm talking about here. So let me give just a real, real life example of this. Just this morning, right? I put my oatmeal in the microwave for two minutes like I do every morning. Two, zero, zero. Oatmeal started warming up in the microwave. And in that time, before my oatmeal was done, I went on a six-mile run, took a shower, read the newspaper, and crocheted a scarf. And you guys think I'm joking, but I didn't have the scarf before I put my oatmeal in the, in the microwave this morning, right? Now, obviously, this is a joke. My mom made this scarf, okay? But... I think there's something about this that it reveals that we as humans are horrible at waiting. See, we can, we can have our food piping hot in 120 seconds. Nobody in history has had that opportunity like we do now, and yet it still takes too long to get our food prepared. And while this is a humorous example, it really just shows how bad we are at waiting. And, and I think it, it just goes through all things, from things as trivial as getting our popcorn popped to things as, as, as serious as getting a clean report from the urologist. Regardless of what we're waiting for, it can be hard to wait. So as Pastor Jeff said earlier, my name is John Wilson. I'm a resident assistant pastor here at Element Church, and I have been here for, I think, just about eight months now, and uh, this time has really flown by. You guys, Element Church has become my home. Cheyenne has become my home, and I thank you guys so much for that. I want to welcome you to our service, whether you're here in the auditorium or if you're watching in the cafe right now or if you'll be joining us later uh, via video online. Thank you so much for being here, and thank you for this opportunity. As I said earlier, as humans, we're pretty terrible at waiting. So in high school, in the summers, and then uh, in college in the summers as well, I was a lifeguard at our local YMCA back in Indiana. So if, if a lot of people have this misconception, I did, about what a lifeguard is, what a lifeguard does. You kind of have this image of like a shiny person running in slow motion from Baywatch, right? Well, any, any idea I had like that was quickly dispelled within my first 30 minutes on the job. Seriously, it is a boring, boring job. Thankfully, at this, at this pool, well, not so thankfully, they would only hire one lifeguard at a time uh, for a five-hour shift. So you're by yourself for five hours. And a five-hour shift isn't so bad if you have something to distract yourself, if you're working with your hands or building a house or, or sending emails, making phone calls. But at this pool, you literally sit on a chair and wait for somebody to drown in six feet of water. So this is not a very engaging job, and it did not help that we had a clock like this sitting right beside the lifeguard stand. It was actually twice as big as this, and you would not believe the pain I had trying to find this clock. Seriously, I called all these pools in town, and okay, I'm not even 24 years old yet, so I shouldn't have to say back in my day, but back in my day, everybody had a pool like this in their natatorium. Um, so our pool actually worked. Our, our clock actually worked. There are two reasons why this clock does not work. First of all, I think I'm related to Tim the Toolman Taylor. So the last time I tried to fix something electrical, I was fixing a light switch in my dorm room back in college, and I fried all the wires through my wall and shut off the lights in my dorm for 22 hours. So uh, that's why I have not a mess with the electricity in this. And then second of all, uh, this might be my first time preaching here, but I'm not stupid enough to literally put a timer in front of you guys for you to watch how long I've been going. So that is why there are no batteries in this clock. 
But anyway, so the clock was about twice as big as this, right beside the lifeguard stand, and I would just stare at it for hours. And the longer you stare at the clock, the longer it takes to go, right? And at first I'd try to avoid it, don't look at the clock, don't look at the clock, don't look at the clock. But inevitably, I'd just be staring at it the whole time, just like this, uh, while people were hopefully not drowning in my six-foot pool. It was awful. My little high school self couldn't handle it. But I think in some ways, we find ourselves watching the clock as well. I'm not talking about the microwave. I'm not talking about just at work. But I think we find ourselves watching the clock as we wait for God to show up in our lives, waiting for him to show up, to work a miracle, to to take away our pain, our grief, to, to save us from our sin, whatever it is. The longer we wait, the longer we tend to keep our eyes on the clock. And the longer we keep our eyes on the clock, the slower time seems to be going. And that makes it hard to wait well. And this brings us to the big idea for today, that God's timing usually requires us to wait. God's timing requires us to wait. He's, he, he exists outside of time. He created time. So God's whole concept of time is much different than ours. And while we may demand things right now, he says, wait a second or a day or a decade. God's timing requires us to wait. So if that's true, if, if, if his requiring Timing requires us to wait. This brings this question to mind. How then do we wait well? How do we wait well? And that's what I hope we can dive into for the rest of our time today. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with them or pull it up on your iPhone or whatever to Luke uh, chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 22 and go through 40. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we would love to give you one. Every Sunday, we give out free Bibles uh, to people at the church who don't have Bibles. So if you want a physical copy of the Bible, you can go to the guest services desk on your way out, and we'd be glad to give that to you. So we are going to be jumping into Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 22. And we're going to be looking at a couple of two different characters in this passage, kind of jumping around to see what they show us about waiting well, because both of these characters are waiting for God to show up. So background story here to the, to the text. We hop into this text 40 days after Jesus was born. So yes, this is kind of a Christmas passage, but uh, guess what today is? It's 42 days after Christmas. Friday was 40 days after Christmas. So it's kind of like this happened, you know, just the other day, right? It's, it's 42 days after Christmas, which also means that there are 323 days until Christmas this year. Get excited. So... If you'll join me in verse 22, we'll read about this thing that just happened on Friday, right? So it says this. Then it was time for their purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. I want to pause here to point something out that we might otherwise skip over. In the law of the Lord, it says that you should bring a lamb, but if you don't have enough money for a lamb, you can bring these two turtle doves or two pigeons. So this tells us uh, that Jesus didn't grow up, Jesus grew up in a poor family. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. It says that Simeon was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. He's in a season of waiting on God to show up and do something. And this brings us to our first point on how we can wait well. And that is to trust the promise. We need to trust the promise. If we don't get this first one right, we might as well just stop waiting because there's no sense in waiting for something that you don't even believe is going to happen. 
The promise Simeon was waiting for was centuries in the making. He was waiting for the Lord's Messiah to come and rescue Israel. So let me put Simeon in history for you guys really quickly. He's a Jewish believer. It says he's living in Jerusalem, which is in the modern state of Israel today. But at that time, Israel was under Roman rule. Rome was in charge. And in fact, for the last 500 years about, Israel, with the exception of a couple decades, had been under foreign rule for those 500 years. First it was Babylon, then Persia, then Greece, and then Rome. So Israel hasn't been in charge for a long time here. And throughout all these years of foreign rule, they had one hope, that the Messiah would come to deliver them. A Messiah is an anointed person. So they're thinking a prophet, a priest, or a king, that this person would come and deliver them from, the Roman, uh, from their Roman rulers. This promise was given to them through various prophets in the Old Testament portion of the Bible. Um, and, and these the last words these Jewish people had heard about their Messiah came in the last book of the Old Testament called Malachi, where it says this, chapter three, verse one. Look, I am sending my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you look for so eagerly is surely coming, the Lord of heavens, says the Lord of heaven's armies. They're waiting for the Messiah to show up in the temple to deliver them. And these words, the last words that they had heard about this Messiah, the last words of this promise came 400 years before Simeon was even born. We think we've been waiting for a while. That's like us holding on to something that somebody said in 1618 and hoping that that comes true. I don't even know what was happening in 1618. Now, Simeon here, he, he's probably now a pretty old guy. He's hanging on to a promise that another old dead guy gave centuries ago, waiting for this Messiah. Now, when we find ourselves in seasons of waiting on God, it can be hard to trust the promises that we have been given. We, what we once believed, but um, now we start thinking things like this. Maybe, maybe God didn't really mean it when he said that he's close to the brokenhearted. Or maybe I misunderstood God when he said that he'll help me to live victoriously over sin. Maybe, maybe God is lying to me. And if you start to doubt God and his promises, hope quickly vanishes. You look at the clock, and as you watch that minute hand trudge on, you doubt that God will ever keep his promise. Now, as I was reflecting on this part of the sermon, how it's hard to trust God's promises when we've been waiting for so long, a quote came to mind. Um, and you know, like I'd heard this quote recently, but I couldn't remember the context. And so you know when you hear a really good quote and you just automatically assume that a pastor or like the Pope or Shakespeare said it, and then you Google it and it was Elmer Fudd or like Spider-Man's uncle. That totally happened to me with this quote. I did not see this coming. So uh, I'd heard this quote. I, I legitimately thought a pastor said this, uh, but it turns out it's from Star Wars. <laughs> it's actually from the most recent Star Wars. I would say spoiler alert, but seriously, it's been two months since the movie came out. If you haven't seen it yet, your priorities are out of line and I have no compassion for you. Go watch this movie. So it's from The Last Jedi, and it comes at a low point in the movie. Uh, and Poe Dameron, one of the, one of the captains, uh, he's begging Vice Admiral Holdo for a ray of hope at this dark time, right? And this is what Vice Admiral Holdo says to him. When I served under Leia, she would say, hope is like the sun. If you only believe in it when you can see it, you won't make it through the night. If we only believe that God cares for us and is changing us when we feel it or on our spiritual high or during a powerful worship song on a Sunday morning, 
We're not gonna make it Monday through Saturday when we may not feel it or when we're feeling spiritually dry. There's another way to put this, and I do know that a pastor actually said this. It says, never doubt in the dark what God told you in the light. The promises that we hear God saying to us, do not doubt those when things get hard, when the waiting seems to be taking forever. And I think Simeon shows this to us. Despite the fact that he's hanging on to a centuries old promise, nearing the end of the life, it says that he was eagerly waiting for the Messiah. That word waiting, eagerly waiting, it's just one word in the Greek, isn't like an arms folded, toe tapping, impatient kind of waiting. It is active waiting. It's a waiting that believes so much in what's coming down the road that it considers it as good as done. Signed, sealed, delivered. Simeon shows us that the first step in waiting well is to trust that promise. Now, a little later, we come to another character in the story named Anna. She too is in a season of waiting, but for slightly different reasons. So I'm jumping down here to verse 36. We'll be jumping around this passage a little. So in 36, it says this. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when she had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. Anna finds herself in a different situation of waiting. So like Simeon, she too is waiting for the Messiah to show up in the temple to come and rescue Israel. She is also a Jewish believer, but different from, different from Simeon, she's waiting for an end to her suffering. Here she is 84 years old, and she's been a widow for 50, maybe even 60 years at this point. 50, 60 years, yeah, that's enough time for the sharpness of the pain of losing your spouse to dull a little bit, but it still hurts. And it doesn't help that she's a widow in a society where widows are incredibly vulnerable. She has no husband to provide for her, to care for her, to protect her. Um, as a woman, she has few rights, and she's constantly at risk of being swindled or cheated or neglected. And this passage doesn't say this, but I have a hunch that Anna wasn't just waiting on the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. She was waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue her. For years and years, she has waited for God to rescue her, but it's what she did during those years that show us how we too can wait for God well. And this brings us to our second point. To wait for God well, we need to remain faithful in prayer. Remain faithful in prayer. Verse 37 says that Anna never left the temple, but she stayed there day and night worshiping God with fasting and prayer. Despite her husband's death and despite her years as a poor widow, she has devoted herself to prayer, to fasting, and worshiping. Now, I realize this is a rather glib answer for me to say, just remain faithful in prayer. I, I, I honestly think that Christian people are often guilty of just tagging this on uh, as, as an easy band-aid to serious problems. They see somebody who's in pain, they see somebody who's hurting, somebody who's waiting for God to work a miracle in their life, and they say, oh, just pray more, or just pray harder. Now, the problem with this answer is that it's actually kind of good advice. I mean, all of us, regardless of where we are, could benefit from praying more and praying harder. But the problem is that good advice is not always good comfort. And I'll be the first one to admit that this is personally hard for me. In seasons when I'm waiting, when I feel like God is silent, when I'm waiting for him to show up in my life, for some reason, oftentimes my gut response is to pray for a little bit, but then once I've waited for a little bit longer, just to stop praying. It feels like I'm not getting anything out of it, so why am I gonna put anything into it? 
It's like I'm trying to stiff arm God into answering the prayers that I'm not even praying anymore. So I understand that this point to remain faithful in prayer is not easy. I'm preaching this one straight to myself right now. But although it's not easy, it is essential. Prayer is our line of communication with God. It's not just how we talk to God, but it's one of the primary ways that we actually hear from God. Now, there are two main reasons why I believe it is so important for us to remain faithful in prayer while we wait. First, it gives us an opportunity to be real with God. You know that saying from Bambi? I do know this quote comes from Bambi. Um, If you can't say anything nice, then don't say nothing at all, right? Thumper says that. I think some of us carry that mindset into our relationship with God. Especially during seasons of waiting, we feel like we've got nothing nice to say to God, so we might as well not say anything at all. Like it would be rude for us to tell God what's actually on our mind. Can I take a moment to just dispel that myth? If you don't have anything nice to say, God might be the only one you can say it to. First of all, he already knows what's on your mind. He's God. He knows these things. Second of all, he's pretty big. I'm pretty sure he can handle your complaints, even your criticisms. And thirdly, the Bible gives us example after example of people who do just that. They cry out to God in their pain and give him a piece of their mind. I've got an example here from Psalm 13 where David, the King David, the man after God's own heart, one of the central figures of the Old Testament, this is his prayer. Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O God. O Lord, my God, restore the sparkle to my eyes, or I will die. David is not mincing any words here. He's honestly, passionately pouring out his heart to God. And I bet there are days when old Anna prayed something similar to this, if not these exact words. How long will you forget me, O Lord? So this, this gives us permission to go before God in prayer and to be honest with him about what we're feeling while we're waiting on him to show up in our lives. If you don't know what to say or what to do, just open to Psalms, right in the middle of your Bible. Just thumb to the middle of your Bible, open that up, flip a couple pages to the left or right, and I can guarantee you'll find a prayer pretty similar to this one, giving words to what's on your heart. I also know of a faithful Christian lady at my last church who was unable to have children. At age 43, she actually became pregnant. And at the day after telling our entire church family that she was pregnant, she miscarried her child. And that caused her so much grief and so much pain. And when I was talking to her a couple months later, she said that every day after work, she would get in her car, grab onto her steering wheel, and just scream at God. That counts. That's telling God what's on your heart. In our waiting, we can remain faithful in prayer because prayer isn't just sending up a thank you note to God. Prayer is conversing with God, being honest with God, telling him what's on our heart and mind. But prayer also does something else to us. When we remain faithful in prayer, even in those hard times, it gives God God the opportunity to meet us where we're at and to change our perspective, to change our attitude. So during World War II, there are two sisters that were captured by the Nazis and placed in Auschwitz death camp. Corrie Ten Boom is the younger sister, and she really struggled to remain faithful in prayer in the midst of all the death and darkness and despair that was happening in this death camp. 
But her older sister, Betsy Ten Boom, always was faithful in prayer and was trying to get Corey to get on the same page with her. So one day, Betsy gets this idea in her mind. She's going to do a prayer exercise with Corey. So they sit across from each other in their bunks, um, and, and Betsy decides that she'll pray something, and then Corey has to repeat it right after her. So Betsy would start saying, God, we thank you for the little bit of food that we are given here in this death camp. And Corey would respond saying, God, I, I thank you for our food. Betsy would say, God, we thank you for the, the clothing that we get to wear here. And, and Corey would resp- respond, God, we thank you for our clothes. And back and forth, it went like this. Betsy thinking of different things to thank God for and Corey repeating it. But slowly the things got harder and harder to thank God for until eventually Betsy says, God, I thank you for the fleas in our mattresses. Corey looks up and glares at her sister. Thank God for the fleas. Absolutely not. She's drawing the line there. These fleas are in her mattresses, in her clothes, in her hairs, every day causing her to itch and well up in all different sorts of sores. She was not going to thank God for the fleas in this Nazi death camp. But Betsy just stared back at her until Corey broke and said, God, I guess I have to thank you for the fleas too. Now, at this death camp, there was a particularly cruel female prison guard who would relentlessly stalk down her prisoners, beating them um, and, and, and doing all sorts of horrible, uh, treating them just absolutely horribly. And she'd stalk them throughout the entire camp, but there was one place this female prison guard would not go, and that was into Betsy and Corey's, Corey's barracks because of the flea infestation. She would chase them anywhere throughout this whole death camp, but she would not go into that place because the fleas freaked her out. And shortly after praying this prayer, Corey and Betsy learned that this was the case. At that time, Corey had no more problems thanking God for the fleas. You see, when we're honest with God in our prayer, when we remain faithful in our prayer, God can do something where a flea isn't just a pest, but a flea becomes a faithful companion. And Corey carried this story with her the rest of her life especially after her sister Betsy died in the prison camp. You see, prayer changes our attitudes. It changes our perspective. That psalm I read earlier where David is crying out to God, you remember it began with, with him saying, how long will you forget me? How long, O oh Lord, I'm about to die here, Lord. Well, this is how David's psalm ends in verse five. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good. David's circumstances didn't just suddenly change in the middle of writing down this psalm, but his attitude did. After venting to God, his heart was open to hear God once again saying, it's okay, I'm here, I love you. And so on our waiting, we like Anna, like David, like Corey and Betsy Tenboom we can remain faithful in our prayer. So we see that to wait well, we need to retrust that promise that God has given us. We need to remain faithful in prayer. And there's just one more thing I see in this passage that can help us to wait well. So I'm gonna hop back up to Simeon's story quickly. So I'm in verse 27, where it says this. That day, the spirit led Simeon to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. Simeon was there when Mary and Jesus and Joseph showed up, when those centuries of waiting were finally over, when that 400-year-old promise came to fruition, Simeon was there. He was in the room. He was ready. He was prepared to receive the promise. And this brings us to our last point, that in order to wait well, 
we must watch for Jesus. We must watch for Jesus. But so often our eyes aren't watching Jesus because our eyes are watching the clock. When our eyes are on the clock, our eyes are focused on our circumstances, how long it's been, what is not going well in our life. But if we turn our eyes to Jesus, we see that he is here now. Not, maybe not in the way that we expect, but Christ is present now. Church, we need to take our eyes off the clock and we need to start watching for our Savior. When we watch the clock, we overlook the fact that our Messiah is finally here. And when we watch the clock, our attention is on our circumstances not our savior. Simeon was watching for Jesus. And I like to imagine what this day must have been like for him. So he wakes up in the morning, he gets this nudge from the Holy Spirit saying, hey, go to the temple. I'm just about to answer a promise today. And so he gets super excited. He's thinking, this is it. This is the day he runs to the temple and he starts scanning the crowd for the most Messiah-like person he can think of. He's never seen a Messiah in his life. So he assumes that it's like uh, probably a tall man uh, who's kind of burly and looks like a king. So that's who he's looking for, right? He scanned the crowd for it. And then suddenly he feels that nudge on his shoulder again the Holy Spirit saying to him, hey, turn your head over here. Look over there in that corner. You see that, that poor carpenter with his, with his young wife holding their little baby about to give the poffers offering? That's your Messiah. That's your Messiah that you have been waiting for. I imagine Simeon must have been initially confused, but he trusts the Holy Spirit. So he runs over to Mary and Joseph and picking up baby Jesus, this is what he says. He took the child in his arms and praising God saying, sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon's aging eyes had seen God's salvation. Now, it would be another 30 years before this baby boy would grow up and lead a revolutionary ministry of love and die on a cross for your sins and for my sins and then rise to life victoriously three days later. It would be 30 years until that would happen. And I'm guessing that Simeon was long gone by then. But for him, it was as good as done. Just seeing this baby Messiah, he knew that he had finally seen his salvation and that his waiting was done. Anna's response is similar. It says in verse 38 that she came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. She talked about the child to everyone who is waiting expectantly. If you're in waiting right now, you're not alone. Everyone is waiting expectantly. And Simeon and Anna had both been patiently waiting for Jesus. And at last, their waiting was done. And there's just one last thing I want to point out here. When we're watching for Jesus, we need to remember that he has a habit of showing up in unexpected places. While Simeon was looking for a king, the Messiah showed up as a baby in the arms of a virgin woman. That's not expected. When we're watching for Jesus, he might not come riding in on a white horse to save the day. Instead, he might show up in small, unexpected things. We might see him in the fact that we woke up this morning that the sun is shining. We'll see him in a well-timed word of encouragement from a friend who knows what we're going through right now. Or we'll, we'll see him in a powerful worship song on a Sunday morning. Or we'll see him in a moment where the pain goes away just for a little bit and we're able to feel a little bit of joy. Whatever it is, if we're watching for Jesus, we'll find him. 
The good news is that our waiting will end. Christ will show up. Old Simeon and lonely Anna finally had an end to their waiting when they saw their Messiah. And I don't know what you're waiting for here today. Maybe you're waiting for a sermon to end. Um, <laughs> almost there. But maybe you're waiting to be free from addiction to pornography or, or drugs or alcohol. Or maybe you're waiting to be physically healed from a disease that doesn't just have you in pain, but has you terrified about your life. Maybe you're waiting for God to come and restore a broken relationship with, with a spouse or a parent or a child or a friend. Maybe you're waiting for an end to your grief and your sorrow. All of us are waiting for that day when Christ will come back and show up a second time. But regardless of what you're waiting for, Christ will show up. The waiting will end. So in the meantime, let's learn how to wait well. We need to trust the promises that God has given us. Search the scriptures. It's full of promises of, of God being faithful to meet us, saying how much he loves us and how he will always be there with us. Never stop praying. You can pour out your heart to God. You can honestly say what's on your heart to God and that gives God the opportunity to come and to change your perspective and to see his love for you. And church, let's take our eyes off the clock because when we're watching the clock, we're not watching for Jesus. And he's the one for whom we're ultimately waiting. Thank you guys so much. I'm gonna pray for us really quickly. Thank you. I'm just gonna close this out in prayer and then Pastor Jeff is gonna come up on stage and give us a couple closing announcements. Lord God, thank you so much for this day. Father, there are so many things that we are waiting for in this room, so many different things that we are waiting for you to be present in. So Lord, first of all, we pray, Lord, come. But in the waiting, we ask that you would help us to trust that promise, to remain faithful into prayer and to always keep our eyes on you. Lord God, I lift up every person in this room and whatever they're waiting for, Father, I pray that you would meet them in that. I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for everyone here. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.